Today is going to be one of the most enjoyable podcasts that you've had from the podcast. Now, there's a little bit of background noise, and that's because we are in one of the best boutique breweries in probably Australia, actually. Uh, we're talking to Sterling. He's one of the founders of Bolter Beer, and you cannot be sad listening to this. It's a very happy podcast. Enjoy. Tremendous guy, tremendous team. Enjoy. <laughs> So, is it all working, Nick? We're in? Okay, what do you do? We're here at Bolter. Oh, did you hear that? That's the sound of a crisp XPA. I'm gonna have a sip. I'm here with Sterling. Sterling's one of the founders of the the, the brand and um, right back at the beginning, you founded this with seven other blokes? Yeah, that's, a, that's how the story goes. Uh, what, six Aussies and a Yank walk into a bar and never come out. Walter is born and <laughs> here we yeah. are. Now let's set the scene. We are in the brewery. So if you can hear all these noises and hissing sounds, that is the gold being made. Yeah, swearing brewers, um, you know, all that stuff. There was a nudie run earlier. It is a beautiful place. There's a big bar here that you can come to and hang out when COVID's not on and have a beer and, and talk to the guys about how they make all this stuff. But um, I think our listeners are going to want to know about, you know, um, the story, you know, right back when you seven founded it and you rocked up a bunch of surf guys and, you know, tell us this story because I am I think it's romantic, I think it's amazing branding and I think you've got a, a lot to tell me today. Yeah, so it started back in 2014, a few days before my daughter, my first daughter Daisy was about to be born and uh, the boys are sitting around Hawaii, there was no surf and leading up to this point, um, B Derbidge had been thinking he'd want to start a craft brewery for about two or three years at that stage and you know I think the boys grew up traveling the world as teenagers drinking a bunch of cheap piss wherever they went and as they kind of got older and more distinguished I guess they they started enjoying better beer and it wasn't until they were in the USA and they were just drinking a lot of great American craft beers that Beeb was like mate I'd like to start one of these one day and anyway they went around the sun a few times and they ended up in Hawaii in 2014 and I got a call from Mick and uh, I didn't know what Mick wanted at that stage because I'd been out of the surf industry for a few years, but we'd stayed in touch, you know. Um, Parko was a good mate of mine through Billabong and so was Bede. And anyway, but just out of nowhere, Mick's like, hey, Stuart, we're thinking about starting a craft brewery. Would you be interested in being involved? And I was like, oh, shit. I, yeah, I would, actually. I was literally planning this uh, online web platform for, for craft beer to sell it because craft beer wasn't really accessible at the time. So I wanted to make these breweries more accessible to people through an online platform. I'm glad I didn't. I'm glad I decided to go start a brewery with my mates. But, um, and that's how it sort of all kicked off. And I sort of said to Mick, I said, oh, sounds really good, mate. Have you got a, have you got a brewer? And he said, no. I said, have you got a place that we think we'd set the brewery up in? He goes, no. I said, have you got anything? He goes, no, we just know we want to do it. And I was like, what a beautiful place to start. Blank canvas. I agree with you. Yeah, that is fucking gold. Tell me more. Yeah, it was, uh, I think it was like January the 7th in 2015 and we all got together for the first time and we're at Mick's house and we're sitting down downstairs and we're like, okay, so what's this going to be, guys? And um, everyone had their collective opinions and what was the glaring opinion is we wanted to be a good beer company and nothing else. It wasn't about being a celebrity endorsed beer. It wasn't about, you know, the corona of craft or anything like that. We wanted to make the very best beer we could. And coming from the surf industry, I'd worked with athletes for a long time and... My whole stance was um, I'd like it if 
you know, it wasn't about surfing and it wasn't about um, you guys per se that we did focus on the beer and all the boys went, thank God, yes, please. We're, we're the face of so many different brands and doing different things. It was, I, I love at this stage we haven't even thought about the beer yet. You know, we're, we're still in at the, the marketing, how we're going to roll with this. So I think that's something that really is important about your brand that you guys have established is this process that we're going through. It's, the product was the, you know, where, yeah. where did that come in? I mean, keep telling your story. I've interrupted, but um, it's like we haven't spoken about the actual. Normally people get a product and then work the marketing out. But you're, yeah. you're working the marketing out before you even get to the product. Well, I guess it was our first time to start something from scratch. You know, we'd worked for people our whole lives and um, we'd always worked hard. We'd always showed up to do our best work. You know, mum always said if you, you know, work hard at someone else's vision, one day you'll be blessed with your own. And um, I believe that. And so when it came to doing our own thing, it was ground zero. So this had to start off on the best possible footing we could possibly set things up on. Integrity was a real big part of that. And what we believe is a big part of that because out of belief comes your conviction. And at the end of the day, that's what people end up buying is your belief and your truth. And so very early on, we set up our ground rules. And so that's why we got to that point. Um, we wanted to be a good beer company and we wanted to you know, have award-winning beers and we wanted to be the people's choice. And we wanted to be all these things early on before we'd even made a beer, our whole goal was we have to be the best at what we do. And I think it's a natural in, um, extension of the boys themselves. They're pro athletes, so they have that mindset. You know, Scotty's a wonderful brewer and he has that mindset. He wants to he wants to do the very best he can. So yeah, early on we set up that framework before we'd even made a beer and um, we all agreed. Definitely no surfers pulling into barrels with a tinny in their hand going, drink it, you know. It's always good, about- Good, good, Always <laughs> about the beer. Yeah. I love that. So, um, how long did it take to pull it all together? Like we say, we were doing this planning. Like, your daughter was born a few days later, I'm assuming. Yeah. And um, like, did it take a year? Was it two years? Like, where were you at? Yeah. So December 14, I thought it'd be a good time to start a business, having my first daughter, and work a full-time job somewhere else. <laughs> so that year, work a full-time job, set up Balta, was a new father, and there was a lot of us who were new dads at that time as well. But uh, March 2015, or June 2015, we started digging up the soil. Now, if you've ever been to Balta before it was Balta, um, it's like this old tin shit house, really. And it was looked like a place that Dexter would go to murder someone. Right. It, was, yep. it wasn't it was that glamorous at all. So we had a lot of work to do. Uh, we turned soil for the first time in June 2015. And by March the 8th, 2016, the brewery was ready to go and we poured our first XPA off the wood here and um, you know where we're at four and a half years later. From a business perspective where did you where did you find the coin to do that? Who back no, how'd that work? Did everyone have 20 bucks in their pocket or? Pretty much. Grand or? We raided the piggy bank for yeah, sure. Yeah, 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 <laughs> um, yeah. You know getting into this whole process um, there was a couple of things we found. Uh, a lot of the breweries we'd seen um, hadn't expected to grow a certain way um, and so they're knocking walls out and going around bends and doing all this stuff. And as we set the space was really important, having a blank canvas to work with. So that was sort of step one. Then we started pricing everything out and we started getting understanding of the cogs and what it takes to set a business up. And between ourselves and our friends and family, we ended up raising about $3 million. And um, so all our friends and family came into Balta from day one. Wow. Now, when you've got that, um, you know, when you've got that, sort of responsibility like we had um you know we had people giving us 50 grand and that was offset against their mortgage they believed in us that much 
that they, they gave up a lot to support our dream. So we all chipped in um, and our friends and family chipped in. We raised $3 million and then we just spent the next sort of bit of time just trying not to fuck it up, you know, because that's a big responsibility um, when, you've, when you've got loved ones money, you know, and we didn't want to do anything, uh, we didn't want to fuck it up. So. so it's much like a family business. Yeah, you know, from day one, um, that's been our motivation. Um, it's just our friends and family that's who we make beer for and, and um, outside of our customers. So, yeah, it's, it's felt pretty special. It's, it's amazing the motivation you draw from that alone. You know? And did that spill, that creative process, did that spill into the actual making of the beer as well? Yeah, so when we're, we're talking about the creative process, um, you know, we have a simple belief that good beer is for everybody. Um, setting up the brass, good. Brad just had an eye roll, just like an amazing, drifted off, had a sip of XPA, just drifted off. If you guys could see my toes right now. <laughs> I'm going to have a sip too, hang on. Yeah, so we had a simple belief early on, um, was good beers for everybody. And we started setting this brand up and I was like, man, where am I going to go with this brand? Like, what's it going to look like? And what do we stand for? And anyway, we come up with a logo, which was, would you see it on the front of the building here? It's just beer and then our, a little smiley underneath. And that was our worldview. And I think anyone who drinks beer and enjoys it, beer smiley is their worldview. So we had this little logo, this little icon before we even had a name. And um, it wasn't till, and trust me, we had about 150 really shit names every single one of them <laughs> was like we'd try to come up with a name for a craft brewery <laughs> yeah 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 okay and um, oh god i can't even remember some but they were terrible and it was harder naming uh this business than it was my own daughter's really and um anyway mick was just lurking around the internet um and he came across this tumblr blog and it had all these weird words on it that mean something it was like middle english sort of words anyway flick this one through to me bolter Bolter. It flows off the tongue. I like the way it looks. It's aesthetically, it looks really nice. It's like Bolter. And I was like, what does this mean? And it was to dance artlessly without particular skill or grace, but usually with enjoyment. Oh my God. That is bloody awesome. Say that one more time yeah. for me, please. To dance artlessly without particular skill or grace, but usually with enjoyment. So dance drunk. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and, and it was just like, wow, that's amazing. It's like humble. It's most people, like that is most people, you know? And, yeah. and it's not about necessarily, it's, it's what you're drawing out of experiences and stuff and the enjoyment factor of, of that whole meaning that really resonated with me. And I was like, fear smiley, with enjoyment. Huh, you're kidding me. And then I was like, bolter. I'll have a couple of bolters, thanks. And it just rolled off the tongue. And then I was just like, okay, that's our name. Yeah. And uh, we love the meaning and we just fell in love with it. And that with enjoyment element just, just followed this business the entire way. It's, it's how we apply ourselves to our work, our relationships, um, everything we do back of house, front of house with enjoyment is, you know, not paying um, contractors on time. That's not with enjoyment. You know no, what I mean? No. Paying people on time, that's yeah. with enjoyment. Yeah. And so this philosophy just started to permeate the entire business. And if anyone's really connected with the Bolter brand over the last four and a half years, they will get a sense of fun out of it. Mm. And they, you know, if they ever come to an event we do, there's always a good time to be had, you know. And, um, and that kind of laid the foundations then. So it was really about just coming up with the aesthetic at that point. And I felt like we had a really fertile base um, to create something quite exciting and vibrant. 
Yeah, I think I remember hearing about it and hearing surfers were involved and and for me I'm real visual and the colour. Like this this beautiful colour of oceany sort of feel. Like was that you as well or is that something you came up with together or how yeah. did that come up with? So I, I work with a graphic designer called Lockie Goldsworthy. Um, just happens to be one of my best mates, brother-in-laws actually, but um, he's just an incredible graphic designer and I'm a creative director by trade so I can give a really clear brief and I have a really good vision of what I want to do. But when I grew up pushing pixels, you couldn't do both because the programs are so clunky. So you had creative directors and then you had people who, who push pixels around for a living and Lockie's one of the best pixel pushers I've come across. And so we sat down and, and I knew that I wanted a white white to be the base colour because yeah. there wasn't a lot of white in craft beer. Um, it was quite busy, a lot of graphic driven stuff um, and that's just not my style at all. I'm a minimalist, I like that that style. You can look at the building here and you get a feel for it. Mm. Um, and so we just wanted to create something simple and the thinking behind that was Scotty makes wonderful beer. We don't want the can to detract from the beer or overshadow the beer. We want the can to assist the beer, to be a wrapping around this thing that we believe in so much and that it would just work together you know, symbiotically. And I think when people see that can of that beautiful sort of, it's called ocean or seafoam green um, and mm -hmm. white, they, they, they've already sort of decided in their mind that this beer is going to be refreshing. Yeah. It's going to be uplifting. And when they drink it and you've got this fruity floral aromatics and this broad fruity palette, and this little zesty bit of finish, it kind of all comes together and the, the design makes sense. Mm. And there's a whole design story that I'm not gonna nerd out today, but it's in this can, um, but it really did stick out on a shelf as well. When we created that white branding across the top, when you stack all those cans on a shelf in a BWS, it creates a thing called a whiteout. You should see my fridge right now. Yeah. <laughs> I got a good, <laughs> I handed you some beers last week, I think I know what it looks like. But, um, <laughs> But we, uh, yeah, created a whiteout on the shelf. And, you know, when you walk up to a busy wall, you like take wine, for example, or anything. If you walk up, like, oh, I'm so overwhelmed now, right now, I'm just gonna close my eyes and grab something. But we wanted this to sit out. We wanted people to know there's Bolter. And when you see it in its environment, it does, it stands out. And, you know, the whole minimalist design really worked in our favor. Were you one of the early ones to go to cans? Like, it was can, like, it was bottle, was, wasn't it? Or was, it yeah, like... it was pretty much bottles. I think probably the Australian market was probably 80% bottles at that time. Um, Pirate Life were in cans. Um, Mountain Goat were doing cans. I, I can't think of many more off the top of my head. And it was a conscious effort for us. We we don't believe in, in glass, it's not for us. Um, cans are a better preserver of beer. There's no light, less oxygen. Um, and, you know, so those two things alone really help preserve beer. Um, so cans was a natural um, sort of gravitation to, for us, but it was, I love how they look. I love the nostalgia of a tinny. And tinnies have like a, a, a previously bad perception. Did I say can? I meant tinny. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you'll get you'll get in with it. There we go. No, no. But um, yeah, so these tinnies and, and I just, there's a nostalgia about them, but they're so well made now that that all those things of yes, yeah, I can taste the tin or all that, it's just placebo, it's not real. It's cleaner to drink off than glass. And what I love about it too is it cross cycles. So a can will become a can again, where glass down cycles. Yeah. So, you know, I think Yoast, um, Yoast. Sounds Yoast like toast. Yeah, sounds like toast backer. <laughs> yeah. But he, uh, he was telling me that in Melbourne, 81% of all cans become a can again 
within 21 days. Really? And I didn't know that before we did cans, but I definitely use it as a stat now that we do cans. Yeah, you know? yeah. So it's pretty good that they cross cycle and, and that. But just as a canvas, you've got this 360 degree top to bottom canvas to work with. And as a creative and someone who loves visual aesthetics, it's the best playground. I do think it is really amazing what you have done with Brandon. I didn't know that about you when I first met you at that charity event that we did for Oz Harvest in Who's Sydney. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, guy, it was nighttime. He still had his flat hat on. I'm like, what's going on here? But um, uh, we did, did that thing for Oz Harvest where uh, Matt Stone, Stoney, yeah. Joe Barrett, what we call her? Barrett? Yeah. <laughs> Joe. Joe. <laughs> um, very good friends of both of ours. Um, we were at that dinner, we met, and um, I got to know you a little bit and then found out you are behind this amazing beer. I was like, I couldn't wait to get to know you. But then I never even got your number, I never saw you again for ages, until I think sort of Instagram. But the smiley face, I was here last week, as you mentioned, when you hooked me up with a few beers, and I walked through this warehouse and I see these smiley faces on the ground. So that is just another awesome type of marketing and branding, but it's also something that must Tell me, tell me why you did that, because I think it's awesome. I think I know why, but tell yeah. me why. Well, like we said, you know, we had Beer Smiley um, from a very early age or very early time on. And I don't know, someone smiles at you. It's one of the best feelings in the world. You buy a coffee in the morning and they hand it to you with a smile or you meet a stranger and they just give you a nice smile if you're out on a walk or whatever it is. Smile is just a global language. And when it was to become our swoosh, really, our icon, it just made a lot of sense for us, obviously because of the meaning of our name, but just because how we felt about what we did. And so it became front and centre. And it's easy just to put this on things as well, just to remind people, you know? It's like we get, a t we get texts from um, fans online all the time and um, just saying, how can I not smile at the tinny that smiles back at me? Or they walk up and they're having a look and they go, oh, I'm just going to grab the little can that's smiling at me. And I just, it's... It's doing its job, what it was intended to do, was to make people feel good. Yeah. And um, that's a big part of our philosophy and our focus for our, our people who engage with Bolter, is we want them to walk away always and feel good. Like everything we do is about their experience. It doesn't matter whether it's online or at an event or at this tap room or wherever it is, we're constantly working on how can it be better. And that little smile just reminds us of that and, and we want people to walk away with that sense of enjoyment. It's not just a tagline that we scribble on shit, we live it. And, yeah. um, you know, I like to think that the people who interacted with us over the last four and a half years, they feel that as well. Tell me about the amazing team you must have here. Mm -hmm. the, the team that you must have attracted through all this amazing branding, your values. Tell me about the team that works here. Yeah, man. Look, we got 75 employees now. Um, it's, oh, sorry, I get emotional talking about this. I don't mean to be um, soft, but um, when we started Bolter, any business is always its people. It's just, you hear it all the time, but it's the truth. Um, you can have people who are bad and that will permeate out the front of your business and there's not much you can stop to do to stop that avalanche from happening if, you, if your culture sucks. And from the very first day, we invested in people. We invested in people and, and probably more than we could afford. But we knew that if we had these people in place to start the business and we knew everyone could play and position really, really well, you could pass that ball without looking and you know it was gonna hit them on the chest or they weren't gonna drop it. 
So early on, we had this philosophy around um, employing people who are really good at what they do. But the defining factor for us on the resume or on the, the checklist is like, yeah, they got the skills, yeah, this, 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 and that. It's like, would you have a beer with that person? That's our final litmus test, right? Would you sit down at a bar and have a beer with that person? And if it's a no, like you can have the best rap sheet in the world, but if it's a no, they don't get the job. That's every employee. Yeah, That's every great. single last one. And you just got to go to our Chrissy party to realize that it's really easy to have a beer <laughs> with everyone. And they're just a wonderful group of people. And so that that's held us instead the whole way through. And um, then that that started that starts to grow and you build momentum out of that. And people are attracted to that. And then you start maybe winning rewards because you're really focusing on the, the greatness inside the can. And then you start doing marketing that really connects with people and they, they're feeling a sense of enjoyment. So it just becomes this gravitational force. But it all started back at the smile, you know? And it, it just, um, yeah, it just influences everything we do. And, you know, we've got 75 employees here now. Like, we've got a brewer up on this deck. His name's Barry. Barry was working in our first ever food truck here, Zicatella Mexican, who's parked up here during COVID. It was our first ever food truck and is still here to this day. He's never pulled out on us once. Most amazing guy, Mauricio, but um, an incredible Mexican too, by the way. Um, Zicatella Mexican uh, on the <laughs> this Gold Coast. This show's <laughs> been sponsored by Zicatella Mexican. <laughs> but um, so Barry was working in the truck with him. He's just this young Kiwi kid. And um, he's a mad skater, like semi-pro skater. But he kind of didn't really know what he wanted to do. He just wanted to skate and surf. And um, he came in here and said, oh, you guys got any spare work going? And we got him going in here on the canning line. Then he moved into the cellar. And then he sort of said to Scotty, hey, Scotty, one day, Scotty's our head brewer. I'd love to, you know, I'd love to brew. And um, Scotty goes, okay. And um, there we go. We grew this kid up. And then, um, you know, I just remember the first day he brewed XPA for the first time and just the sense of pride that came from that. And then we all got to drink his beer later on and sit around and enjoy that moment. It's like, this is your beer, Barry. This is your beer in our can. And then we had, like, even a guy like Gav um, Massey. So Gav helped lay all the concrete here. He, he's a builder and, he, and he's, uh, he can do everything. Everything to do with a building getting constructed, Gav can do it. The most hardest, meticulous work you've ever met in your life. Gav's 50 at the time and we just saw this bloke. He never dropped the ball on us building this place. And we're like, man, Scotty's like, this bloke would be a good brewer. He's to the milligram, he's to the second. He's, he's just get shit done. He doesn't, he doesn't fuck about. And anyway, Gab came through the cellar and ended up on the brew deck, 50 years of old age, career change. He's a brewer now. And all these lads, we've gone on to win 100 plus awards over the last few years. And that's all their beer, not just Scotty's beer. It's the beer they brew as well. Because when we enter, we only enter two awards and now we can't enter one because they're no longer independent. But the AIBAs is a big one for us. And, um, you know, their beer, we cleaned up there last year. Uh, the awards would be tonight, actually. Really? Yeah. And we won Champion Large Brewery. The first year we were in it, we won Champion Medium Brewery. Won Champion Large Brewery last year. And we did, the beers just kept winning gold after gold after gold. And Strong Carla won Champion Beer. And that was brewed by Gav. And it was just such a remarkable moment that all these people are in on this. And we don't send specially small batch brewed beers to competitions. We send what you drink every day. Yeah. That's what we send off because that's the... 
Hey, about me drinking every day, man. Yeah. <laughs> Easy. What you drink every day at lunchtime through to early evening. So it's 8am now, yeah. just for everyone knows. Yes, yeah. So it's going to be a really, really long um, broadcast. But no, so in short, our people, they're just next level. And if you go through our production team, just every person you meet in this business, would you have a beer with them? Damn straight I would. And um, we fantastic. feel very blessed that Bolter has that many good people in one spot. What's the, what's the future? What are we building here? Mate, when we started, we just had a simple world view of good beers for everybody. Um, you know, like anything that gets artisan, it can become a bit wanky. You know, wine used to get hijacked and it wasn't until Matty Skinner wrote an amazing book. He's uh, is sommelier from Melbourne. He opened Jamie's Restaurant 15 with him in London and he was the head sommelier there and he wrote a book called um, Thirsty Work. And it just debunked all the wankiness about wine and he made it accessible and it got me into wine actually this book years later we've become best mates so weird but um anyway he he really set the tone for me like in a lot of ways that I, it really sucks when people hijack something great and make turn into something wanky and exclusive so we had a very early on philosophy that good beers for everybody real simple and so for us we just wanted to take we didn't care whether we build a hundred liters and it was the best quality ever or a gazillion liters and it was going to be the best quality ever like we didn't want to hamper ourselves by being small or artisan or we just wanted to share good beer and we're on that journey now um you know we brewed 4.3 million liters last year um you know on our way to, to brew 8 million liters um you know in the coming year or so and it just um i feel so proud you know, our beer's in places we never thought it would be in at this stage in our career. That was my next question. Where does it all end up? Yeah, and, you know, we've got around um, probably about 600 um, pubs around Australia right now. Uh, our very first six venues still have our beer on. Nice. Um, it's all about relationships. You know, you've got rickshaws, you've got Sambar, Bine, a um, couple of the surf clubs along here. Um, they all still have our beer. And then you can buy it in bottle shops all over Australia. Um, but you know, we we obviously wanted to, this to be successful, and we obviously didn't want to fuck it up for our friends and family and investors, and um, who believed in us from day one. And I, yeah, it feels really good not to have done that. And um, what the future holds, it just means more good beer for us. You know, uh, this team here, I don't want to ever see it disbanded. I just want to see it pushing on together, doing great work, and. You know, to come to work in a place like that every day, I think that's where you truly great brands are built, you know, and, and that common goal and ethos and philosophy and that's just where the good shit happens and it's intoxicating and you want to keep coming back every day and you want to keep doing it. And um, So what does the future hold for us? Just more great beer and more enjoyment. Like, just what we do. And how do you make that happen in your own life? Yeah. You surf, do you, what do you, how do you, how do you balance it? How many days a week do you work? Like, what do you, is it something that, that is important to make sure that you got a bit of work-life balance? I know that, you know, a lot of business owners just work themselves to death. You know, is there a secret there that you guys have got that have also contributed to this amazing brand? Yeah, I think um, early on, I'd, I'd, I'd work my fingers to the bone a lot, especially when you're young, you've got no commitments, just get in and get shit done, right? Then you start working probably a bit smarter, I hate that term. A lot of wankers say that. Oh, I just work. I work smarter, not harder. You know, like that wanky <laughs> term. I was just like, shut up. Like four-hour work weeks and all that bullshit. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. it's not real. Um, 
But when we did start Bolter, we definitely wanted that balance. You know, we were all starting with young families and it was important. And it doesn't mean we haven't been busy and we haven't had our days where we've had to travel away from the family a bit. And But the goal is just to be present. When you're present, be present. Yeah. Don't um, let your mind be somewhere else all the time. And it's really hard, especially when you care about something so much. But when it comes to family, you can't do that over again. You can break it and it's harder to fix, you know? And for us, it, we have focused on family a lot. Um, we make sure all our team do as well. We just make sure there is balance. And it um, doesn't mean you don't get in there and roll your sleeves up when shit needs to get done. But because we have that balance, there's no kickback when that time comes. It's like, yeah, it's time, we've got to knuckle down. And um, so yeah, I surf. Um, not very good, not as good as Mick and Joel and V and Josh. <laughs> so you were, the, you were the shit surfer, mate. <laughs> yeah, I was the guy with the hairy back who had no skills. Um, I had, didn't really have abdominals. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Couldn't, no. couldn't arch your back or duck dive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. But I, I love surfing and um, it's been a big part of my life. It pretty much gave me my life. Uh, you know, I started at Billabong when I was 14 years old. And you know when you do work experience at school? Yep and you get dragged off to veterinary surgeons. Or I had no idea what I wanted to be. I just went, I need a job. Mum and I were broke as and um, needed a job. And I uh, went to the Billabong shop and said, look, I want to do work experience here for the week as my placement. I said, if I give these guys five free days of my time and show them what a good worker I am, I hopefully I can get a job at the end of it. And here I was, they gave me a job on that Saturday and I worked every Saturday for the next four years. Got into marketing became the global creative director eventually and my whole career got set up nearly by accident and just hard work and you know from starting billabong.com in the late 90s and doing all that type of thing it shaped me so much and it led me on this little journey and um, you know I think uh, you know I don't know where I was going with that question I got lost doesn't matter but um, it just ended up just being a life surrounded by really good people. I had wonderful mentors. I had people step into father role in my life that were really amazing. Um, helped me be a really good human where I could be. And yeah, Product. Products. Oh yeah. What was the question, Nick? <laughs> what do you serve? Like, what, like, what are you excited about? What's your beer-wise? Yeah. So. We've got our core range of beers, which is Captain Sensible to mid-strength. We've got the Lager, we've got XPA, uh, Strong Pale Ale and IPA. Um, we just got told this week that actually IPA is uh, the number one selling IPA in Australia right now, which got blown away by. Um, it's funny, we never market that beer. It just does its own thing. And we're super proud of that. That's just, that's what great brewing, that's a sign of great brewing that a beer can elevate itself in the hearts and minds of people without the push that maybe all these other beers get. But, um, you know, we, we've got a wonderful program of hazy beers that we make. Uh, we leased, released a session hour this week. It was meant to go out in kegs nationally and COVID happened and changed all those plans. And we're like, we can't, I don't want to pour this beer down the drain. It's too delicious. And, you know, somebody said, stuff it. We're going to put it out in cans. And you don't do limited release session beers. It's just not, it's not a thing. Um, people wouldn't expect it from us. And this beer just melted the internet over the last five days. And I was so stoked to see that. It was nearly like everyone was just like, oh, thank fuck. Like, 
a session beer. I've been drinking all this big shit at home during COVID. I need a little break. And, <laughs> but I still want something flavoursome. But, oh, thank you so much. And it was like you're at a... Like oh, a, that's yeah. what that beer's for. Yeah. Yeah, I drank, I drank a little bit of it. I was just saying to Nick on the way down, I said, I didn't actually really experience because I think I was on my fifth beer then. Yeah. And I was like, I think I got lost in just beer. <laughs> So yeah, okay, that's good. So it's a pacemaker, you know, it's, it was meant for lockdown, but then it was amazing because everyone just came out of being locked down and this beer just happened to be there and we got like a thousand photos of people holding it in front of sunsets and fires and one guy even held it in front of a drain, you know, and it's just like, you know, here's a drain and I'm drinking my favourite beer, you know, yeah. so look, we make a good hazy beer at the moment, we're, we're, we love our hops, like, you know, Scotty, all our ingredients we deal directly with the farmer. You know, yeah, and that's right. um, and so we. Because spent... this is this is a podcast about produce. So, yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah. So we, yeah. I guess we should get to <laughs> some bullshit about that. <laughs> but um, you know, we spend our time. You know, we use a lot of American hops in our beer, and a place in the Pacific Northwest called Yakima Valley, and there's a company called Yakima Chief Hops, which is a co-op of about 20 hop farmers that all come together, and they supply a bulk of the world's hops. Um, but we go over there and we're in the hop fields. We're doing hop selection, rubbing the beautiful kernels in your hand and hop flowers in your hand and you're smelling them. It's this sensory overload and basically we hand pick every hop for our beers. And it's such a wonderful, wonderful process, right? And then to be able to come back here and you're like, oh, there's, there's, we're about to brew with these hops that we selected and you have this connection back to this farm and you're hanging out with some of the best hop breeders in the world and these guys invent new hops all the time which is a crazy process in itself you know it's a 10-year process to wow. bring a hop to market uh, from inception and um you know so here we got all these wonderful ingredients and you know that whole beer is of the land thinking and that's scotty's philosophy is beer is of the land without our farmers making the malt the fuck you know without our hop growers having bumper seasons and being able to you know, get this stuff to market. We don't have beer, you know. So it's a, um, yeah, it's a wonderful, wonderful process just making a beer. Yeah, I don't think, I mean, I don't think everyone sort of gets when they even, they walk in, we see 1,000 bloody big stainless steel tubs. I mean, and then, you know, all we see is the one last one at the end here. Mine's empty, by the way. But um, yeah, yeah. Uh, we're going to have to get another one off the bench yeah. there. But um, it's, like, people don't even understand what's going on. And, um, Give me a quick one minute of how yeah. beer, what happens, because... Yeah, so, you know, the average beer for us takes 21 days to make. So from, you know, milling in to full fermentation process to cans is about 21 days. What leads up to that is amazing. You know, you've got all your barley farmers around the world and all your different malt growers. They've got, you know, you've so many different varieties of malt out there creating all these different styles of beer. You know, yeast is an unsung hero of of um of brewing you know and you know we to do our hazy beers for example we propagate our own yeast here get it third or fourth or fifth generation and that's the perfect yeast to make our hazy beers you know and that's called london three and um so we've got all these amazing different yeasts that we pull from and then you've got you know 160 plus varieties of hops around the world and that's growing and growing and growing and growing so between water malt hops and yeast you've got this amazing like world of unopened doors, possible combinations that to unlock. It's why we don't put a lot of adjuncts in our beer. You won't see us piling fruit into our beers or doing things that we feel that we can achieve from the four core ingredients that we were given. 
and that's Scotty's brewing philosophy here. And so it's sort of, every day's new, because you're constantly going, Scotty sits there and he's like, oh my God, I reckon I can get this flavor from this malt or from these hops or from this yeast, you know, um, if my water's at a certain, you know, um, I don't know the technical term for it, you know, hardness. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like all these things weigh in. And, and it is, it's of the land. So it changes season to season. Hops change season to season. You know, all these things, they're not just a constant. And, you know, we're getting to the point now where we know what lots, we can blind pick the lot that something comes from that we identify as a good hop for bolter beers. So if we're picking Centennial or Amarillo or Mosaic or one for hop, we're sitting there and we're like, oh, yeah, this is ours. And that might be Peralt batch, you know, whatever. And we know the plot of land it comes from comes all the way through to here and then we, we make beer, you know? And um, so it's funny, I don't think people are fully get that beer is of the land, that it might be as seasonal as it is. Yeah, that's, um, that's, that's And it relies on the season, you yeah. know? Our Galaxy hop uh, a couple of years ago was wiped out by hailstorms in Tasmania and half the crop got smashed. And so there was a shortage of Galaxy and Galaxy's famous for the Stone and Wood Pacific Ale, um, that real passion fruit, beautiful piney smell that comes out of there. Um, you know, these, these guys deal with the same elements as your growers would and mm. um, you require certain elements to make good ingredients. So. Well, it's really good. It's, um, it is an amazing story. It's an amazing brand. And, um, you know, I think if people haven't got it, they should have it. And um, what would you say, what food does it typically go with the XPA? Oh, XPA is a good one. You, I'm a big fan of just prawns on the grill yeah. and XPA. Uh, there's a bit of a citrus undertone in here, so if you squeeze a bit of lemon on some thorns, it's a, it's a really nice thing. Um, you know, strong pale ale is good with a beef burger. Uh, IPA is wonderful with blue cheese. IPA and blue cheese is one of my favourite things on earth. Captain Sensible would have to be the most versatile food beer I've ever come across in my life. I've drunk that beer against so many different styles, whether it be curries or whatever you're talking, and that beer just stacks up against anything. XPA goes really nicely with curries as well. Um, it's got the beautiful bitterness that just brings, the, sort of refreshes the palate after each hit so I can cut through a bit of that dank sort of richness of a, of a curry. Um, yeah, a few things like that, yeah. Yeah. Um, I normally ask things like favourite fruit, but I'm, you know, what's your favourite fruit? Oh, geez, you know what? I love uh, blackberries when they're in season. Oh, really? Okay. And mulberries. Yeah. Like, I just remember having a mulberry tree at the back of the property yeah. and just pummeling my cousins and my brothers and just coming back blue <laughs> and purple and but then just having the freedom just to eat them and that beautiful tart sweetness. Well, there's something about the warmness of them as well. Like when yeah. they're warm, they're different. Yes. I think that's a whole different experience. And I, as I try and talk to people about the actual best time to pick a, a raspberry, which we will never get it commercially, is the middle of the day. That's when it's at its height of flavour. Right. And in the evening, in the morning, when they do pick them, so they hold their position and hold their, yeah. their structure better, but it's actually the middle of the day. So that's the beauty of growing things a little bit in your veggie patch or yourself, in that you can actually take just enough of what you need and, and get it at its optimum, not for transport or delivery, it's for actual eating. And those sort of experiences on the palate are you know, unforgettable. And that's why they yeah. last so long as a yeah. child, I think, yeah. because sometimes you're accidentally eating them at the precise time of when they need to be eaten, uh, like a bird would or like, um, you know, yeah. anything else. Okay, so mulberries, we're gonna go mulberries and yep. vegetable. Veggies, look, 
I use the eggplant emoji a lot. I noticed. <laughs> on my uh, messy, but I love eggplant. It's super versatile, beautiful flavors. Um, oh, God, favorite veggie. It, it carries the flavor, doesn't it? It eggplant, really does. Eggplant can dance with cheese, tomato, uh, curry. It, yeah. you know, it's in the heaps of, I think I did a thing on it. There's over 100 different varieties. It's in Thai cooking, it's in Indian cooking, yeah. English cooking, American cooking, it's in everything. I love Yoda Modelangi. I, I love Yotam's cooking. I feel like it's a Jerusalem's a book I use a lot, and I, I gotta say, just herbs in general, mm. like parsley. What an incredible little fucking thing that is! Like mm. it just goes in so much, and it brings so much to any dish. You can put it on absolutely anything, and it adds something. And so I think that's amazing. But you know what? I just love spuds. <laughs> you get some spuds, um, whether it's sweets, potato, or just normal spuds. Yeah. You do so much with them. Yeah. And no, you didn't lose any friends by doing beautiful roast potatoes. Never. Ever. Ever. You know, and so I think I'd have to give it the spuds at the end of the day. Yeah, you got it. They're very versatile. But let me tell you a quick story about parsley. I learned of this Italian guy years and years ago. It was on top of your pizza. It was the curly parsley, finely chopped, which people say you shouldn't do. But then olive oil, a little bit of garlic, and some salt. And once the pizza comes out of the oven, just as it's hot, before you slice it, you, you stir it up so the salt and everything gets mixed in with the parsley and you drizzle that over the top of the pizza oh, and it gives a freshness to the palate and that beautiful oil and the gar a little bit of garlic, did I say garlic, and it is just amazing. That freshness of it all really melts away the thing. That's my little cooking tip for the oh, year. Oh my God. But, I'll um, be doing that one for yeah, sure, yeah, yeah, It is, it wow. is amazing. And I don't see anyone really ever doing it. Yeah. But that was a really old Italian guy who taught me that yeah. uh, back when I was chefing. And, um, yeah, it's stuck with me and I still do it at home. How good is Italian though? Just the simplicity of just beautifully matched flavour. It just, I don't know. It's again, like spuds. You cook Italian for people, no one really turns their nose up no. ever. And it's good You've got to be a bit away. of an asshole if you get grumpy it's good, Italian. It's good for COVID. Um, yeah. So tell me who, I know you know food pretty well, but I know you love Joe and um, and Matt and uh, Mark and... You know, uh, but who's who's a great chef that you love? Love seeing what they do. Let's 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 take Joe and and, and Matt out yeah. because I know you're favourites. But anyone else that's coming through the game that you just really love? Yeah, look, I'd have to go back to the start of how cooking worked for me and what got me interested in it was Jo. It was Jamie Oliver. Yeah, and yeah. What I love about Jamie, it was, it was that same thing that Matty Skinner did with wine. Jamie just made cooking accessible for everybody and and he and he did it on such a level that just changed the world and everyone had a belief that maybe I could cook good food in my home yeah and Jamie Oliver cracked that world open for people of my generation at least and so I think for me Jamie Oliver is a bit of the OG in terms of, of my love affair with food um, apart from mum um, <laughs> but coming through I think George Wintle is an amazing young chef who was with Joe and Matt. Um, Harry, yeah. who was, was cooking for them as well. Yeah, I remember him. I reckon he's such an underrated chef and he's such a quiet dude too. Like yeah. he just flies under the radar. But I think those two youngins, like what I admire so much about Matt and Joe is their ability to cultivate new talent. And like they have such a low turnover of staff in their teams because they really cultivate talent. And I've had the privilege of meeting all their crew um, on multiple occasions. They've cooked at our Colorado Love events and they're just the most dynamic group of young 
men and women. And I don't know, I feel like they're just going to take over the scene in the next few years. And um, Yeah, it feels like it's a long time coming. I think, you know, people are seeing more and more of them, but um, yeah, they are amazing. Yeah. But, you know, I love Mark uh, from Duckies. He, um, he'll go hunt deer and he'll just send me up all these cuts of meats. He makes these incredible meatballs from the deer that he's caught that just blow your mind. He's sent up sausages and steaks and it's pretty impressive. And, uh, I do love that they use everything. I remember, yeah. you know, going um, uh, hunting with James Viles and I was a little bit like, oh, do I really want to kill this thing? And, and then um, he goes, no, we're going to use the whole lot, do I? And, help me justify it all but um at whatever stage i was in but yeah i got us probably just finish that with just saying um alex from labart oh uh, yeah Everyone's um favorite. he's just the fact that he's on the gold coast too i'm so proud of that um i had a couple of mates up from melbourne who'd spent their whole life in the food scene all over the world right and they sat down for me to me with me at dinner there probably probably three weeks before covid snapped in and we had a meal there I just, you just couldn't fault it. It was six courses and you were just in awe of every single dish, you know? And just the simplicity, but just the technical excellence of what he's doing. And you watch all the young crew and he's on his pass, he's in there with them. And he reminds me of a Matt and Joe like that. He's in the trenches, he's working with them, he's trying to make them better, push them harder, but without being a dickhead. And I just really admire that. And. Um, uh, Labard is just right up there for me. I agree totally. I think it's one of the best in Australia, actually. Yes. Uh, and have, all the way to the dessert as well. And I mean, not that you should discredit dessert ever, but he gave me, I think we ordered one of these, my, my wife and I, and he gave me whatever it was, four or six desserts that were on the menu and put them all on the table. And I was just, every single one <laughs> got eaten to the 100%. They were probably yeah. there for me to try. Yeah. But I ate every single one of every one. Yeah. And I, I don't. I think you can just keep going back there, and you could you could order blindfold with a bloody twirly stick, and you would actually have a great meal every single time. So I'm I don't trying know to bring back uh, licking your plates in restaurants. I reckon licking your plate in restaurants should be allowed, because when you go to a place like that, you do it. Yeah, my father-in-law still does that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's like an old mature vet, you know, ex-vet, very distinguished. But he, uh, yeah, he licks his plate. No gravy goes yeah, to waste. Yeah, yeah. Been a pleasure talking to you. Same I hopefully people have got to know you even better, and uh, I hope people continue to smile whenever they see uh, your brand and your beer. And um, thank you very much for being a part of our podcast. Thank you. And um, yeah, I, yeah, I'm glad we're mates. Yeah, same man. And um, sorry if I rambled too much, folks. But um, <laughs> hopefully you got through to the end. And thanks for hanging in.